Welcome to Truth to Power on 106.5 FM Forward Radio in Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, and I'm here with the incomparable Alice Melendez of Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky. Alice, how are you doing today? Good, I'm doing good. It's good to see you. Great. Uh, so we, uh, you went, you didn't go to, but there was a conference. We're going to be talking about the Appalachian Storage Hub, which is a big, disastrous type of uh, facility that uh, would that, that nobody wants except for a very few people that are going to make money off of it. So Appalachian Storage Hub is this big, huge petrochemical complex in the Ohio Valley that will poison our water. Uh, our air and and our bodies, if we allow it to to go into place. So you you tell us a little bit about you know, the article that you wrote, and then we'll have you read the article and go from there. Okay. Yeah. So I have been following this project. The main goal is to turn the higher dollar pieces of natural gas into plastic as a way to make money because they haven't been able to pipe it down to the Gulf Coast. And so they're stuck with this high value explosive material up in the Appalachian Valley, uh, Appalachian region and the Ohio River Valley. And they're trying to figure out how to move it. And they had been proposing this massive complex that would be built around an app, the Appalachian storage hub, which the Department of Energy under Trump was pushing really actively. And um, it looks like the more I dug into the conference presentations, I realized that industry in insiders are already working under the assumption that it's not going to be built like they had been promising. So they're trying to still claim this big rosy jobs explosion for Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia while not, and they're not going to deliver on that, but they're still going to poison us basically. Right. And as I got into that, I, I wrote this article called the Appalachian Storage Hub Bait and Switch. So who is, uh, who's the main character in this? Well, the way that I got into really studying and reading and writing this was I started following this character, Perry Babb of um, Key State. Uh, okay, Perry Babb. Let's go ahead and start reading the article. The article's fabulous. Go ahead and, and start yeah. reading it. He turned out to be a really fascinating character yeah. that drove, okay. drove this writing. All right. So here we go. Appalachian Storage Hub Bait and Switch. Bait and Switch, the usual. We've all become familiar with one kind of fossil fuel corporate shell game, the one where lower performing assets, that's land, mineral, and rights, are sold off to small companies with weak legal connections to key human players and limited capital so that when cleanup and worker pay and healthcare obligations come due after the mining party is over, the small companies can declare bankruptcy and leave the taxpayer and underfunded state agencies on the hook for hazardous waste and sick people. The Appalachian Storage Hub Conference held this week in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, illustrates a different bait and switch. Bait and switch, the shine stealers. When I first looked at the conference program, Perry Babb caught my attention naming his talk, A Low Carbon Future for Natural Gas in the Appalachian Basin, while touting his skills at rescuing stranded natural gas assets for people on the hook financially. On the surface, it looks like the story of the broader greenwashing of natural gas as a, a bridge fuel tool for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, because natural gas re releases less carbon dioxide than coal when you burn it. But this obscures millions of feet of fugitive methane emissions at the wellheads 
a more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, redirecting investment from renewables, and proving that the climate-friendly storyline about natural gas is a total fraud. But then Perry Babb's talk was part of still another bait and switch. He spoke in Cannonsburg to provide cover for other sleights of hand and shifting power stories about the future of the Appalachian Basin petrochemical development. Why is one of the keynote speakers at a storage hub conference behind a vertically integrated wellhead to product project that doesn't need any shared storage with anyone? His project vision has literally nothing to do with the fantasy Appalachian storage hub copying Mont Bellevue in the Gulf Coast scenario. And copying Mont Bellevue might not be the best idea either. Check out the links in the liner notes. So the only connection between Perry Babb's project and the Appalachian storage hub is like they both use natural gas. So why is, why is he a main speaker? Partly because the ASH project has so few actual supporters to present. Take a look at their tired blast from the dinosaur past website, like Becky Christmas of Reuters Upstream and their team of shiny tech wizards wouldn't answer the call to shine up and sell the conference like they would for all the, the Houston Petrochem conferences we watched earlier this year. They're stuck with top line analytics who hasn't updated their website since 2014 because the financial story from today for shale gas in our region just doesn't sell as well as the story they had six years ago. And even they don't mention going to the conference this year in their upcoming events. Bab's team has designed an innovative, potentially sane, medium-term manufacturing and climate transition business that could keep fossil fuel wealth multipliers in the local economy. Check out his, his, slides, his slides are on their website and it'll be linked here too. It has replicable elements while following the thread of experience, which teaches us that local contexts are unique and that when investment and design plans are copy pasted across the world, we end up with the colonial hell that is currently crashing our health, economy, and critical ecological infrastructure. Bab offers the Appalachian Storage Hub Project from Hell a chance to rub off some of his shine. They use him to create a mirage the wizards behind the curtain pretend their plan has something to do with carbon capture scaled on site to match how much carbon they're actually releasing. And people Not want to hear about carbon, cap carbon capture because that's this pipe dream that says it's okay that we're putting all this carbon into the atmosphere because just around the corner there's going to be this technology where we can ab absorb the carbon back out of the atmosphere and not have to worry about climate change. And that's why Bab putting his name and his project on this failing, flailing storage hub project is so sick because carbon capture, when it's used as like a, just a catch all, like, yeah, we can burn as much as we want. We're just right. gonna shoot it all back down into those natural gas wells. We're just shoot it all back underground. We'll suck it out of the air. It's going to be awesome. You know, and it, it makes either, it tries to make environmentalists sound stupid, like they don't know the real technology. Yeah. And it tries to make the industrialists like are pretending that they have anything like the scale. But Bab's project is actually self-contained and is like really a demonstration project 
for what transition looks like, which is containing, reeling it in. Well, even if you contain the carbon, you're still going to have a whole lot of air pollution and water pollution associated I mean, like, with fracking and everything. Right. What? I mean, like containing the culture. I mean, like containing the scope of our ambitions, like mm -hmm. um, containing, like trying to work in place more. Like right now, our our all of our economy is based on this crazy empire where we take from everywhere and we think we can sell to everywhere and we can dump, you know, our plastic in the Philippines and we can, you know, like, like the world is one place and the world is flat and that's, that's not real. And that creates a bunch of what's called sacrifice zones where, you know, fracking site is a sacrifice zone because the people, the health of the people that have to live around it are, is being sacrificed. And the Especially people that if you have concentrated to live, all yeah. in a river valley. Right. And so his project is, it's something else entirely. And he's letting them pretend using his little manageable, like the size of a one lumber mill size project to, to try to shine it off on this whole huge endeavor where it doesn't reach. I, I can't quite explain it. Okay, they pretend that their plan the is driven by needed projects, products, mm -hmm. which his is, and not by what mining outputs they need to sell, which has also got to be true. Mm -hmm. They pretend that their plan gives about the massive bleeds of the earth's blood and guts and vapors out into the atmosphere. They pretend their plan is driven by needed products and not by what mining outputs they need to sell. They pretend their plan gives a darn about the massive bleeds of the earth's blood and guts and vapors out into the atmosphere, about the climactic catastrophe they're spelling into existence with their arcane formulations of chemistry and debt. Bab builds churches, but here at Cannonsburg, he sold his soul for new investors. Why? Because at the scale of major manufacturing, working in the existing world system, even for someone who recognizes the need to transition, money lenders circle around the petrochemical industry so here's that's, another that's because of the government guarantees you know money lenders want to do guaranteed loans and the government's going to guarantee this stuff and chuck zelick from department of energy there was there with 40 billion dollars of 30-year guaranteed money mm -hmm. so bait and switch is this a game changer or just a warehouse Another lead speaker, Mike Tritt, says in his press release on the conference website that the Appalachian Storage Hub won't be built as it was proposed. Wow, guys. But, quote, Lane Power's leader is convinced that rather than one large storage facility, a number of smaller storage projects will be built in the Appalachian Basin, offering capacities between 2 million barrels and 5 million barrels, costing between $200 and $300 million. He would know his team actually builds the underground caverns to store the stuff. And David Hooker of Mountaineer NGL Storage ca called this Hendrix competing Appalachian storage hub project pie in the sky, saying it's too large for the needs of the region. Hooker said he has no plans to turn his project into anything like the Mont Bellevue complex with its long history of mishaps and environmental violations. We just want to be a warehouse, he told James Bruggers of Inside Climate News. 
Hooker is currently reapplying for permits to Ohio Department of Environmental Protection after Ohio DEP failed to follow their legal public comment process for a project type that has never been built in our region in our geology and which fails catastrophically when and wherever it does fail. So according to the Department of Energy report on the petrochemical renaissance of Appalachia, you know, all benefits, no costs. Right now, Appalachia can separate 1.1 million barrels per day into discrete components of natural gas liquids. So a $2 million, $2 million barrel storage cavern is handling like a couple of days worth of production in a floating capacity for downstream users most is still going away in pipelines, probably an expansion of the ATEX pipeline. And the storage hub that Trit and Hooker are referring to really is just a dirty, dangerous warehouse for a product, plastics, wow, you know, which while initially generating gasps of amazement in the 50s, is now generally recognized as a scourge covering over the planet in garbage and poison. So besides greenwashing and stealing the shine off of unrelated differently scaled projects, the bad wizards behind the Appalachian Storage Hub and their stooges at county economic development offices are jobs washing. They are fooling the people who will suffer the impacts of the petrochemical build out on the Ohio River into thinking that at least it will lead to long term money in the pockets of regular working people, which is what they always say, which look how good coal went for regular working people. Right. So when the American Chemi Chemical Council makes up their widely repeated story about 100,000 jobs coming to the region, the layers of bull crap are literally so many and so deep that the muck would suck off your shoes and leave you cussing and coming back with a shovel to extract your footwear. Really, the assumptions built into their model have proven to be wrong in the past because they get paid to make planned facilities look better than reality so they can secure government funds and investors and convince people in the way who might complain at public hearings and fight permits that they will benefit and never feel costs. Please read Sean O'Leary's useful true accountings, lies, damn lies, and economic impact studies about this project's data sources and methodologies um, out of the Ohio River Valley Institute. Even in the ACC study used to transmit these politically useful fraudulent claims about the economic impacts of the proposed development, they reveal the true driver of the project. As much as they wish to dress the industry up in the appearance of the public good, their calculations are all about using all of the mind resources they can get their hands on as quick as possible. And this is the opposite of the public interest. They talk about proximity to the NGL resources and the shale formations in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Ohio. And, and they, their punchline is avoiding methane rejection, which is where they're having to burn ethane or sell it below the cost of transport, which is the real driver of this project. So more or less, the idea so that we eth need Ethane product. rejection is a problem. I mean, it's... it's it, when methane just leaks from these oil and gas facilities, that's a big, big problem. It's better, it would be better for the methane to burn in a flare, right? Yeah. Uh, but so when it leaks, it's, it's only a problem for the people that are trying to make a profit from it. 
It's not a problem. I mean, it, it, you know, that's a, uh, so anyway, the, it's one thing for it's it to be. Both. A, so yeah. when you, they're, they're mixing ethane with the natural gas that people are burning for heating fuel. And they're like, we could be getting way more money for this ethane if we turned it into polyethylene and turned it into plastic because the price of gas is so low, they're all going bankrupt. And so why build a huge expansion of an industry that can't pay for their own costs by like trillions of dollars? Like literally, I literally think it's trillion, not billion. Like they're yeah. so far in the hole. Yeah. Okay, maybe, maybe it's high billions, but it's like huge numbers of how far they're in the hole. Okay. And so they're not keep, even talking about us needing the product the products they're just like we need to move this stuff trit does mention potential for clients for hydrogen storage too and here's a zero carbon emissions fuel which requires massive amounts of electricity to separate the hydrogen and store it for fuel and all they're doing is aiming for that electricity to come from natural gas or maybe even clean coal so they're trying to tie the old dinosaur fossil fuels to the futuristic new energy um, because- So they're trying to make it sound like it would be good for climate change when actually right. it's not, yeah. They're doing everything they can to try to find a climate-friendly future for these fuels that just aren't. Right. And so it's a perfect, you know, greenwashing candidate for public consumption which helps with the apparently critical challenge of creating markets for financially stranded natural gas. So Trid of Lane Power will headline the ASH conference because any cavern storage building project is a huge capital expense, even if they don't build the big dog. And he makes his money from the highly specialized work of building them. So not many people can secure good enough liability insurance or otherwise manage the cost of risk to handle the fallout when a cavern leaks or blows at the wellhead and creates a toxic cloud or a massive explosion, which happens, of course. But Trid of Lame Power knows and makes known that the real prospect for development is nothing like the showy studies presented to the public. He'll get his team whatever money he can from the pent-up political energy that created all those great promotional materials to cover the butts of the public servants who need to subsidize the projects because it's what they see as their reason for being in so-called economic development. And he'll tell the conference goers that the project and the promo and the reality are completely different because he knows the public doesn't read much. But whoever you are reading this vlog or listening to forward radio, you know you're the exception. And so now it's like, well, what are we going to do about it? Because there are real thorny problems that we have to face as a civilization. In spite of the fact that we can look at this project and tell it's trash. So this is my last bait and switch. And this is the one that we're all party to. It's the power of the four denials. As people, every one of us tangled in a massive complex infrastructure that sustains our very lives through the burning of fossil fuels, we are dependent on fossil fuels. They are precious. Some of the chemistry and engineering that moves and transforms them does, whether we like it or not, serve us. And as one who enjoys hot showers, coffee, internet, and cheap food particularly, I admit I often do like it even as I experiment with ways to get these pleasures differently. But some of the mining and burning is clearly stupid 
and serving no one but the wealthy mining gambler as high-paid CEO, the engineer with a big paycheck following orders and making the will of the schemers into material and concrete, the super-rich financier of Wall Street needing a massive capital-intensive project where to park their money outside of a bank. And so now so-called environmentalists are scripted to just say no to all big projects and then paint it as naive, even though we're more than this term and this protest sign. The industrialists are scripted to feed projects to the economic developmentalists that they know will sacrifice the regions where they're built, poisoning and trapping people with no other options for livelihood. Both tribes pretend that they don't know that, that the opposite is true. All of these enormous lies flow out of what the carefully named gesturing toward decolonial futures folks call the four denials. Okay, so this is the four denials, and I absolutely love these four denials. Uh, it's because if fundamental. Yeah, yeah, if you're talking to somebody who kind of doesn't get it, it's like the, these, four, these, these four, four denials together, it's like, okay, we can talk when you acknowledge all of these denials. You, we can talk when you acknowledge the truth behind each denial. So sh share these four denials with us. Number one, the denial of systemic violence and complicity in harm. The fact that our comforts, securities, and enjoyments are subsidized by expropriation and exploitation somewhere else. Okay, systemic violence, what's that? So everywhere that you're mining, that in a foreign country, they're killing the people who are opposed to the mine right there. If you're in a big mega city in South America and you get your power from a gigantic hydropower project on a river so 100 miles from your city, they're flooding and killing people. And then they're specifically murdering people who are trying to stop said project. That's just a tiny little example, but there's violence there's violence everywhere in order, they're blowing up mountaintop removal mining, uh, you know, black lung. This is violence that, that feeds us. War, all, all of the wars, it, yeah. <laughs> because they- So systemic violence is like, we know that shooting somebody with a gun is violent, we know that declare, being in a war with somebody, that's violence. Systemic violence refers to those things that are, that are legal and sometimes sanctioned by the general public, like you know, locking somebody up for a, a nonviolent, that's a form of violence. Poverty is a form of systemic violence. So the first of the four denials is to say, we're gonna end our denial about all the systemic violence that's going on. So an example of systemic violence is when, when somebody has to live near a fracking well and they're having to breathe the, uh, the the polluted air or when somebody has to drink the water downstream, right? Yeah, exactly. The second denial is denial of the limits of the planet. So the fact that the planet cannot sustain exponential growth and consumption. The third, 
Well, let's talk about the limits of the planet for just yeah. a minute. So the craziest thing is to think we can have unlimited growth on a planet that is limited. So objectively speaking, our planet is limited, yet our economic system is, it, it, it's like economic growth where, you know, what politician is going to question the value of economic growth, the need for economic growth. So our economic system is in one universe and our planet is another universe. They're not the same universe. So you're saying number two, we're going to, we're going to stop denying that there are limits, uh, that the planet has limits, you know? Precisely. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay. Well, so the what's third the third? Gets a little, uh, the denial of entanglement, our insistence in seeing ourselves as separate from each other and the land rather than entangled within a living wider metabolism that is biointelligent. So that, that refers to the idea that we really are all in this together, but yet we have a hyper-competitive, hyper-individualist system where we, whether it's the news, whether it's movies, whether it's TV, we're always told, you know, I'll get mine, you get yours, F you if you don't like it, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, but but the, the denial of entanglement, we really are entangled. Uh, we really are in this together and we need to stop denying that we all breathe the same air. We all drink, you know, the same water or some version of it. Uh, we all want the best for our children. Let's stop, let's stop uh, in, stop this fantasy that says we somehow live in separate worlds and what you do doesn't affect me because it does. Yeah. And, and also all this, all this new theory about ego and about the way that there's just a lot of beautiful work about the ego as a, as kind of the root of a lot of suffering of people in all different positions in our cultural matrix, I'll say. And then the fourth um, denial is just the denial of the depth and the magnitude of the problems that we face, which, you know, even really well-meaning people are, are pretty scared to face that last denial. Right. So, you know, climate change is a problem, but it's something our grandchildren will have to deal with. No, it's something that's already killing people. And, and another form of, of denial comes within the environmental movement, which is where if we could just get carbon under control, then we won't have any problem. No, can you say a sixth mass extinction? I mean, carbon is, not, carbon is not the whole story. So, you know, we have that kind of denial, denying the urgency and magnitude of the problems that we face. We could stop emitting carbon today and we would still have global warming for some time to come and of course it's not going to stop today uh, the conversion and, and we would still yeah. have a a cultural heart that would destroy all the rest of life on earth because we don't mm -hmm. believe that it has a place because right. we can't like make it personally a value to my ego or like maybe we'll stop the Pebble Creek mine in Alaska because we like to hunt there, but mm -hmm. we won't like realize that like other Nature, beings yeah, live right. here. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just us. Absolutely. To me, the you know, it, 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 I mean, it's, to me, it's not about carbon. It's about limits. It's about human rights, and it's about the rights of nature. If you ask me, mm -hmm. so. I have a hard time. I struggle with rights-based language because I so often see power as what happens. And so 
I get more focused on a cultural transformation of what people want than what people yeah. have a right to. But right. I, it's true. Um, it's definitely a way to look at it. And so then my article just says, sit with the four denials a while. We can all become better earthlings through this practice of honesty. No bait and switch. Sit with it and consider like, what if preventing collapse isn't profitable? And there's a link in the show notes to that. And then I worked no, with no, this. No, no, let's talk about that a minute. What if preventing collapse isn't profitable? What do you mean by that? So, you know, the environmental movement could get on board with, with the industrialists and the economic development people. We could all get on the same train that like we were going to prevent collapse through this smorgasbord of innovation and investment in new industries, green industries, the best future technology and that this technological fix for climate change would make a lot of money for people who are already good at making money. But well, like- What's the problem with that? What's the problem with making money off of fixing climate change? It's not gonna work. Why? Because if it would have worked, like we would be way farther down that road. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because yeah, actually fossil fuel is this super dense, fantastic energy like super concentrated energy and like nothing really competes with it. So it, you would actually have to, you actually have to downscale the civilization. Okay, well, what's next? Collapse. Continue reading. The confessions of a fossil fuel addict who thinks about it real hard named Sean and her wish list for how we might handle ourselves going forward. And she says, Rethink our relationship to the fossil fuels and the mined minerals themselves, considering that they have a place in their ground, that they and their lands and beings surrounding them have value as working communities of life and spirit, energy, structure, and not only as extracted disembodied commodities. Give love to government regulators and negotiators who are in tough places trying to figure out how to square a circle and fit round pegs of future life support and square holes of a culture in a millennia's long death spiral. Love fossil fuel industry folks who have, quote, this, this has all been my own words, but her points, but this is her words, made both the delights and difficulties of our current lives possible and need nonviolent communications and support in order to divest and or fuel transformation. Because really you need the fossil fuel industry folks on board if you wanna move fast. And then a complete reconfiguring of the fossil fuel industry currently dominated by rapacious profit-driven and destructive corporate entities supporting and protected by military adventure Fossil fuel producers surely need to be taken into public ownership and regulated to invest income in the production of renewables, as well as for the public good more broadly, or a possibility here um, for fossil fuels and other minerals to be extracted only under structures akin to the Norway style sovereign wealth fund established to ensure responsible and long-term management of revenue from oil and gas resources so that this wealth benefits both current and future generations. So let's stop falling for the bait and switch. Let's stop enabling the bait and switch. Let's stop enacting the bait and switch on our neighbors and be real. I know it's hard to be real, to look at the four denials and our part in them, to consider the scale of what's needed, but it beats the alternative. 
We are not a bunch of suckers hanging on every lying word of some sad wizard with a PowerPoint behind a shabby curtain. There's no place like home, everybody. With love, Alice, we ain't in Kansas anymore, Melendez. So Alice, you've got a wish list of three things here. Let's talk about the first one, rethinking our relationship to fossil fuels and mined minerals themselves, considering that they have a place in their ground, that they and the lands and beings surrounding them have value as working communities of life and spirit, energy and structure, and not only as extracted disembodied commodities. So what do you mean by that? My favorite story about this, I heard Vandana Shiva talking and she was talking about, uh, I think it's borax, but I could be wrong about the mineral and it, you know, it's in some rural place. It's in these very porous hill formations where these people live mm -hmm. and it created a water sink for the people of that land to live for thousands of years, you know, as herd people with water. And when they started mining that mineral out, I think that they mix it in Portland cement, whatever it was. I'm off of, I should get the name of the mineral before I tell this story again. But anyway, when they mine it out, the hills collapse, they no longer hold water. And now all the people who've been living there for thousands of years don't have that sponge of rock to sustain the life of all the creatures that have been living there for all this time because people, capitalists, foreign capitalists and their domestic partners were only valuing that mineral as a disembodied commodity. Like how much pennies does this trade for on an exchange? We need to take it out and bring it over there to make it into something valuable, but it had value where it was. And Sean, in this story, she's talking about people who would see fossil fuels like oil, like underneath the rainforest as like a spirit blood of the rainforest. So one, one problem there is externalities. So externalities is an economic term for not, it basically means not accounting for the true cost. And the, the, you know, the, true, the solution is to account for the true cost for one thing. Another thing is you know, who wins and who loses? When the borax is extracted, who wins and who loses? So you've got people who have been, had this lifestyle uh, and a way of life for thousands of years, and all of a sudden they don't have that way of life for anymore. So that way of life is counted for nothing while their resources are sold to somebody else and future generations lose. So. Right, anyway. because it's accelerating the like burning of fossil fuels and the destruction of all the cultures in exchange for fast development. So, so let's talk about your wish list number two, giving love to government regulators and negotiators in tough places, trying to figure out how to square a circle and fit round pegs of future life support in square holes of a culture in a millenniums long uh, death spiral. So what do you mean by that? It's just, you know, Sean, the person that I'm Sean and I'm a fossil fuel addict uh, article I was, I've been reading into a lot was saying, look, once we accept that we're fossil fuel addicts ourselves and that, you know, this Zoom call, et cetera, doesn't work, you know, without fossil fuels and that our food system especially doesn't work without fossil fuels right now, then we have to respect a little more. Like we can't, so like she was coming from the cop 
25 cop number the council of parties um international climate change negotiations where the people were like walking out and saying like this is an industry scam to feed all the money over into false solutions and she's like well, yeah that's true and the government regulators if we're just always um shaming and saying no to them we're not recognizing our own actual continued need to have the products it's like we have to get a little more nuanced in with love well to me <laughs> the powers that be know how to wear us down and uh giving love to government regulators and negotiators is fine but you know I, I say let's look at everything around us. half of what we see around us wouldn't exist if if there if we had a, like a true democracy you know if people really got to choose at every level what works for them what doesn't work for them at the state local federal and international level at the level of the workplace at the level of the school at the level of the social group if people got to choose what, what then you know we could uh, anyway i was going to talk about that a little later but anyway show me true democracy is what i have to say right because if you did then the negotiators at least would actually be representing us when right now we can have like zero faith that they like quote unquote represent us like right Right. That so everybody knows that. item number three on your wish list, loving fossil fuel industry folks who have made both the delights and difficulties of our current lives possible and need nonviolent communications and support in order to divest and or to fuel transformation. I believe the part about nonviolent communications, even though it's sometimes hard to stay away from that, but you don't want to uh, take, you know, the, the language and the concept of violent. You want to be confrontational. I think you want to be confrontational and in people's face saying violence is not okay. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm actually terrible at NBC and uh, screw up all big group meetings by <laughs> yeah. not following proper protocol um, in spite of uh, going to a bunch of these anarchist circular meetings. But the main point would be, okay. These are these old boomers who have been like, okay, now I sound like my, 11 year old um <laughs> i'm always he tries to call me a boomer i'm like mm -hmm. i'm like almost a millennial but not right. quite um right. anyway <laughs> so they were fed all these stories like from their baby bottles about the wonders of plastic the exceptional greatness of america about um you know cowboys and indians uh, brown wild things always being bad needing to tame the wilderness like they just ate that up it's crappy superheroes and um and then and a uh, reason and i you know and and so now they're coming into this world well, you which just, is like that, there's a pack of lies there's a pack yeah, of it's, lies it's just garbage and so they've yeah. just like eaten like all this garbage all their life and so their like beliefs are really confused yeah and then once you think about that you're like oh my god and they like you think about like um sort of like the ways that they're shamed and bullied into becoming what they are because otherwise they would be you know like and then and then you say okay so guys like you gotta 
can you talk to, to them? Well, can you split them? Can you talk to some of them? And that's part of why I got fascinated with the Perry Bab character. He's like making churches. He's like, I'm for Jesus. I'm like, well, and your project is good. So why are you going to the Appalachian Storage Hub with a, and pretending that there's a low carbon future for natural gas that has anything to do with that storage hub? Because you're hunting money from, from Chuck Zellick? <laughs> I can get it. But like, can you split them up? Okay, let's look at your last item on your wish list. A complete reconfiguring of the fossil fuels industry, currently dominated by rapacious, profit-driven, and destructive corporate entities supporting and protected by military adventure. Fossil fuel producers surely need to be taken into public ownership and regulated to invest income in the production of new renewables as well as for the public good more broadly. So uh, continuing to read, a possibility here is for fossil fuels and other minerals to be extracted only under structures akin to Norway style sovereign wealth fund established to ensure responsible and long-term management of revenue from Norway's oil and gas resources in the North Sea. So that this, is, this wealth benefits both current and future generations. Yeah, So you, right now mainly it's just fast, fast, about fast, burn, 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 money, money, right. money. Right. It's like Short a simple term. rap song or something like right. not even a complicated. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, it's just like. So you want to reconstruct, reconfigure the fossil fuel industry. Yeah, because if you're if fossil fuels, fossil fuels are this like super concentrated, powerful energy that allows us to do work, like to do mechanical work which is like the only kind of work that we know how to do right now, unless we get better at magnetism and, um, you know, moving things electromagnetically, sort of like the Tesla split off that we didn't take. Well, so you need the fossil fuels. And so the idea that we would like bomb oil fields and then like turn gas into plastic for single uses to put immediately in the trash. This is psychotic. Mm -hmm. This is pathologically insane. And so if you have, and like on a massive scale, but if you have at least something like the idea that you are trying to use the minerals in a responsible long-term thinking way, like that would be a start. Well, that's why I say, now, that's why I say show us, show me true democracy. So, you know, we, we need all hands on deck. We got big problems to solve. We need all minds to be uh, focused on solving those problems. But what we do is we go to work every day and most of us go to work uh, to make money for somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's where our mind, is, that's how our mind is occupied. By the time we get off work, our best energy and, and mental and physical energy has been used. And we go buy some corporate product, corporate service, corporate entertainment. And our minds are not focused on solving the problems that need to be solved because we're basically not free. Yeah, because we're spending all our energy to stay out of debt to cover housing and utilities expenses, basically. No, it's exactly it. So nobody has any time to, you know, make art or analyze That's petrochemical why. conference going presentations right. or any of it. 
you know, Martin Luther King and others have advocated a universal basic income, which would, you know, let's say in Martin Luther King said, uh, you know, guaranteed income should be set at the poverty level. So Andrew Yang was talking about it being a thousand dollars a month, which would be very helpful for, you know, almost yeah. everybody. No, I love, I love that. But Martin Luther King uh, said, you know, put it at the poverty level. Poverty level now is at a ridiculously low you know, the government standards say you're, if you make less than $20,000 a year per family, you're in poverty. But we know that the poverty is truly like thirty or 40000 probably. And uh, so if you gave everybody thirty or $40,000 per year, then all of a sudden they wouldn't have to go to work to survive. And you would immediately eliminate the type of thing where people go to work at McDonald's but just to survive. And they're but earning then where money. would we get our fast food? Oh, well, I mean, we can, which would you, which would you prefer? You know? But it's do, true. Do if, you you don't, to... if you, if people had enough money, they wouldn't do any of these crappy jobs is the assumption. That's the idea. That's the idea. And people then like be free. who does the crappy jobs? Then you, there, there's this what? great punk song called what? Jesus washes the dishes. And it's mm -hmm. like, it's like about how we need police because people, uh, you know, can't figure out how to not drive through traffic lights and we and we can't be anarchists because like nobody will do the dishes and but he's like, I wash my own dishes. <laughs> it's the punchline of the song. Well, if you had the week off, would you do your dishes? If you had the week off, you know, what what do you want? Uh, do you want a life where you have to, you know, work for somebody else just to survive? Or do you want a life where you don't have to do any work for income? So you can just figure it out, you know. It, it would be just... a puzzle. I mean, it would be a real, like, be, but I mean, structural poverty is how all of our industries work is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. So let me go through, so we've we got about 10 minutes left. Let's go through some of my solutions. So we've talked about the Appalachian Storage Hub, how it's a terrible idea. We've talked about all the ways that our society is in denial. We've talked about your uh, wish list. And uh, so uh, let's talk about 10 minutes about like how to solve the problem with climate change and how to solve the problem of biodiversity. I said, you know, okay, here's one major metaphor for me. Uh, when, before you climb a ladder, look at what, what wall it's leaning up against. You know, you don't, you don't say, oh, climb that ladder. Well, you know, it may or may not do you any good to climb that ladder. So, you know, where, so I say, look at everything around us. I say we could eliminate half the economy if we just eliminate what is not needed what people would not want if they knew all the facts and knew all the alternatives. So for example, reduce defense by 90%. You know, defense doesn't defend us. Defense only makes the world a more disgusting place. Uh, so eliminate 90% of it. Yeah, right? nobody here would notice um, more violence. They would just notice the servicemen coming home and women, yeah. servicemen and women coming home and then Maybe they could do something uh, useful here because there's so much need here, obviously. Yeah, and just strictly in financial terms, my math tells me that people spend on average $4,000 per year. If the Pentagon, we, we spend $750 billion a year on the Pentagon. If you divide that by 300 some million Americans, you get a figure approximately $4,000 per person. You know, couldn't we use that fourth? And that doesn't take into account all the costs that do not represent our tax dollars. You know, the costs mm -hmm. of people overseas, the cost 
the cost to climate. So I also recommend that you, we eliminate 90% uh, of air travel just because or that, that's a, another topic. But if you eliminated the defense we don't need, then that would eliminate a great deal of the air travel that would not be needed. You know, if, if we had true democracy and if people could really vote on what we want, then that would eliminate all this defense, eliminate a lot of the carbon producing air travel. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Then instead of worrying about, so like we always talk about like how the internet, um, you know, takes a lot of fossil fuels to run or something, but like, so you could do this direct, this direct democracy work, like requires like a lot of computing and it, but people never say when people throw that out, like, well, yeah, but you just like cancel it. You just ditch all the fossil fuel emissions that the military industrial complex makes. And uh, we have plenty, plenty of carbon budget to work with here at home to, you know, run direct democracy with um, the best tech that we can develop and deploy. Exactly. So, you know, that, so we're agreeing that, you know, 90% of defense is just not needed, could be eliminated immediately and spend that money on a universal basic income, spend that money on healthcare and universal uh, basic income. You just redistribute it, make it a dividend, and then let people with that modest amount of money, put that money back into the economy for what they need most. Yeah. So eliminate 90% of defense, eliminate 90% of air travel. So for example, if a McDonald's, McDonald's is the, the biggest you know, restaurant corporation in the world, they're opening like 2000 new, and it's not just McDonald's, it's all, it, it, you know, but just for example, when a McDonald's executive flies all over the world, setting up more McDonald's, does that help you? And yet we're subsidizing it. And, and it's not, I shouldn't say McDonald's too much because they'll sue me, but fast food generally, you know, they're you know, chewing up for us to, to make either soybeans and corn to feed the cattle or chewing up for us to graze the cattle. And, you know, does that help you? Does that benefit well, and they, you? They would say that if they didn't have so many fast food restaurants, then they wouldn't have the you know, market to drive the economies of scale to transition everybody onto a diet that is uh, suited to the machines that the American farmer uses to create corn and soybeans, so grind it up, the tail and then get these the massive feedlots, lakes, like poop. Um, anyway. Go ahead. And just that, um, that, that we need that. But I think that people would find that we could have, if we could get back to regional food economies, we would eat better. <laughs> right. You know, there's plenty of ways to meet people's actual needs without all these corporations and their, their operations that are so short-sighted. I mean, there's plenty of ways to restructure the food. So would you rather have a system that is based on slavery or would you rather do something to grow your own food? Would you rather eat food that come, that's toxic and lots of preservatives and comes from thousands of miles away? Or would you rather have enough money to buy food that is healthy and grown locally? That is an, that is an honest to God trade-off. Yeah, and have enough money to pump into local food systems that people can afford to do it. So like right now in Kentucky, like young people like want to farm, but they can't make 
oh, they could just barely make enough money to make it and keep their land. Also, land redistribution, right? So that people can have land. Like, that's why I can work for myself because my house is paid for. I mean, it was a really cheap house, but like right. there was enough money in my ancestral line that like I paid off this like $25,000 house. Now I don't know. Now I don't have to pay rent. And now I can work for myself. And so as people could get land ownership or home, um, it's not debt, not a mortgage, but just like people could be somewhere without having to spend $600 a month just to be somewhere. Right. So uh, another thing I say, get rid of 90% of corporate media. So corporate media is, is just, uh, how, how would you get rid of corporate media? Well, well, you would give it competition from publicly funded media. So NPR is very commercial. It is not public media, but the, the original idea was good. So you, you, you fund public media uh, and without the need for them to raise any money from people or corporations. So then people can have fun like we are on forward right. radio. Right. <laughs> and and uh, we need to become better, uh, better singers and performers. Although I, I, I've been uh, just eating up some of the music videos that people who have gotten to a level where they can really invest money in the music videos that they produce um mia borders and childish gambino this is america are just spectacular art but you could i think that you could get you could make news grow out of local communities and and actually some of the music is becoming more democratized that way as people are growing out of being like, I'm a TikTok, I'm a YouTube rapper and then like turning into somebody, you know, it's like that democratization is happening in some places and we can all feel it coming. Okay. In terms of climate change and lack of biodiversity, another one of Hart Hagen's solution is to reduce new automobiles by 90%. So and stop mowing so much. Right. Sorry. I have to get that one out there. Right, exactly. Often. Well, yeah, reduce mowing by 90%. So why? Because you kill everything around you with no particular purpose. Right. Like just out of like habit or convention, like everyone is like making these biological deserts all around their homes. And like, I get wanting to have a clear pathway where like burrs don't stick on your clothes and stuff, but that's not the same thing as having acres and acres of like, three inch tall grass that nothing can live in, you know, wh where are the wildflowers? Where have all the flowers gone? Mower. Right. Okay. We're, we're solving the world's problems here. And uh, you know, that sounds so like I say that with a bit of, of, uh, of, of satire or irony, but if we don't, who will? You know, why do regular people have the nerve to talk about how the world's problems are going to be solved? It's because they're not being solved right now. The people with all the power are not only not solving these problems, but they are, you know, making it worse. They've got, they've got the economy and the environment in a stranglehold. Everything is, is exactly topsy-turvy. Like mm -hmm. every, everything that should be valued is not valued. And everything that is valued, you know, is valued for the wrong reasons. And like, mm -hmm. that's why we can see the Appalachian Storage Hub we never should have had to argue about it for six years or whatever, but you know, maybe the, the winds are changing, but it just takes so much more 
I think if people can become more vigilant and more honest, and like you're saying, more willing to realize, like, we've got to work on this ourselves because the people who have been doing it have done a terrible job. Right. Yeah, it's a great message. <laughs> Thanks, Hart. <laughs> so, so we agree that what we need is true democracy, right? How did that, do we not have a democracy? I mean, right now it's absurd. There's this beautiful, uh, you know, whiteboard video of like, it's from represent us is the people and they're, they're a democracy people. And it's like the amount of is on the one axis, the amount of people in America who would like some policy to happen. And then the Y is like the likelihood that it will happen. And zero people want this to happen. Everyone wants this to happen, you know, based on opinion polls, same likelihood of it happening. But if you like do, if you like see what, you know, the richest 2% of people would like to happen and then the likelihood, you know, that it happens like, oh, they do correlate. Like there is a relationship. Okay, great. So we agree that we need to have a real democracy. We're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, Alice Melendez from uh, Extinction Rebellion. Thanks so much for joining us real quick. How do people get in touch with you? Or, or you can what, email you... me at xrebelky at protonmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook slash xrebelky. So, so, and it's a YouTube mix too, YouTube xrebelky. So we're trying to stick with the theme here right. <laughs> on the platforms. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot, All Hart. Right. It's a pleasure. Bye.